the year that today's album was released, the astronomical powers that be took a page out of Gustav Holst's book and punted Pluto from the planetary lineup and declared it a dwarf planet. Pluto, if you can hear me, just remember, comparison is the thief of joy. This week's album features Charlie Hunter on one of its tracks. Hunter's unusual and impressive playing style enables him to play a bass line, chords, and a melody, all on a single eight-string instrument. I'm usually doing well enough just to play one of these three things on six strings, but you know, comparison is, say it with me, the thief of joy. This week's artist dropped out of Berklee College of Music, but to hear him play, you wouldn't know it. Have you guessed it yet? The year was 2006, a repeat offender on this podcast, along with the year 1975. The album was Continuum. The artist is, of course, John Mayer. Today on Two Dudes and Tunes. Thanks for tuning in to Two Dudes and Tunes, the podcast whose hosts are in repair. I'm not together, but I'm getting there, and my name is Chris Robinson. Wood Johnson is my co-pilot for this musical flight. Wood, how are you doing? Man, things are going pretty great around San Antonio these days. I've been looking forward to our discussion. Uh, what's new with you this week? Well, man, uh, it has been a whirlwind. Um, we figured out the contract for buying our house. I think I mentioned last week that we were talking about buying it, um, and we decided to. Uh, so mm-hmm. we have been doing all that. It, it means lots of phone calls and mind-numbing legalese. Um, but, you know, I, I can't complain too much because I really like the house. Nice. Um yeah, I'm I'm super excited. Um, and as like kind of a a little preliminary housewarming gift, Megan and I bought ourselves a grill. Uh, but then we got a cold snap, so <laughs> we haven't used it yet. It's been sitting outside in the cold, uh, but we will get to use it. You're like that old man on The Simpsons. Darn you! Shaking yeah, your fist at this guy. That is a- that is me from the from the warmth and comfort of my own home, though. To be honest, I'm not I'm not about to be outside shaking my fist at the sky. But uh, how are things going for you? Oh, it's been going good. We finally got some rain around here, which you know, since the cold snap in February, it's been really dry uh, here in San Antonio. So got mm-hmm. some rain uh, earlier this week. I ordered a new or developed a new recipe for an amber ale that I'm going to brew, hopefully this upcoming week. Oh, yes. And uh, so I'm excited about that. And then uh, finally on Thursday night of this last week, uh, I guess you and I kind of had a little bit of a falling out on recording. Uh, Mm. (laughs) And uh, so (laughs) I was sick. I had a reason. (laughs) I wasn't just blowing smoke at you. you. You didn't send me the doctor's note. So, you know. But uh, <laughs> oh, I didn't I didn't go to a doctor. That's far too expensive for a cold. But with with that free Thursday night, I ended up taking Tiffany uh, on a date night and we went to one of our favorite restaurants here in San Antonio called La Gloria. And uh, we had margaritas and so turned into a really cool night. Yeah, that sounds fantastic. Spent spent an evening in Margaritaville. 
Uh, but the margaritas are way better at La Gloria. So I, I bet they are. The, <laughs> San Antonio is where you want to get margaritas. That's where they know how to make them. Exactly. Up here, it's just like some mix and some super cheap tequila. It's it's no bueno, as they say. <laughs> well, dude, are you ready to dive into Continuum? I think so. Let's do this thing. All right. So, Wood, you texted me the Friday morning after we recorded and said, and I'm quoting here, this John Mayer album is pure sex. Oh, behave. <laughs> yeah. um, which I agree with, by the way, uh, not to give too much <laughs> away. Um, but why don't you tell me um, and, and give us the, the, friend, the family-friendly version here. What were your <laughs> thoughts on this album? Well, this album came out the year that I graduated from high school. So I was thinking back to that particular year everybody you know turns 18 or whatever graduates high school and it's a pretty big year in anybody's life and i was thinking back to where i was what i was doing in 2006 and kind of thinking to my prior experiences uh, i believe my first experience with john mayer would have been in about 2003 with heavier things and i was like an instant fan um and <laughs> This is probably too much, but I'm pretty sure I was grounded by my mom for playing your body as a wonderland. Oh, uh, no. Too, too loud in my room one night. Uh, oh, that's funny. I say that because they waited till the next day to like ground me uh, for, and I quote, loud music. But that's the only track I feel like I might have been pushing the boundaries with that night. I bet, yeah, I feel like they grounded you for making them feel uncomfortable. <laughs> I, I feel like that's what happened. Well, well, now as an adult, you know, in my 30s, uh, in my parents' defense, it's probably not something I would have wanted to wake up to uh, with my son playing in his room at, you know, 15 years old at two in the morning either. So, <laughs> yeah, weird vibes, the weird, weird, bad vibes. That's uh, so funny. Yeah. And so that's kind of my early experience with, uh, uh, with John Mayer. And it's going to be tricky for me because I am such a, uh, I don't want to use the term fanboy, but I'm such a just universal fan of John Mayer's music in general that it's going to be hard for me just to focus on the album Continuum and not just go, hey, we need to do 12 episodes of everything Mayer's ever done just <laughs> in a row. A John Mayer retrospective. Well, I will go ahead and describe myself as a fan boy uh, because, man, I love this guy's music. So my, my first introduction to it, uh, there was a stoner kid who played guitar. Um, it wasn't me. I wasn't a star kid, but um, the, star the farthest kid thing from it, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, I, I like four, four equilateral sides. I was a square. Next to the definition um, of sobriety but, is a picture of Chris. <laughs> <laughs> a little thumbs up, a little tear running down my cheek. Um, no, but uh, there was a stoner kid in band just ranting and raving about John Mayer's Any Given Thursday DVD. Mm hmm. Um, and that's like kind of the first time I remember hearing like, oh, John Mayer is like a person that people think about as a really good guitarist. Well, a friend of mine had uh, the 2004 Eric Clapton Crossroads Festival 
DVD. Which is and a this great DVD, DVD, by the way. Like, yeah, it's fantastic. Well, and and for those of you who don't know, uh, Eric Clapton uh, has like an organization, I think, dedicated to helping people through rehab and that kind of thing. And he puts on this festival. I, it switches locations, but he puts on a festival um, or used to anyway every year and gathers like a bunch of really fantastic musicians. Well, this DVD was kind of formative for me as a young guitarist because it was the first time I got to see up close, like a bunch of really good guitarists playing. Um, and it had everybody from like Joe Walsh to Steve Vai had an appearance on it. Um, but John Mayer has a little two song set mm -hmm. and he absolutely kills it. He opens up with like a little bit of a jam on uh, Jimi Hendrix's tune machine gun. Mm -hmm. And it's basically just like John Mayer showing off. And, and I can remember so vividly just sitting, I, I would probably irritate, I probably irritated my family so bad because I didn't have a DVD player in my room. So I would go downstairs to the living room with my guitar and put this DVD in and just like hear a lick, pause, try and play the lick and then rewind it and watch the same like two or three minutes over and over again. Uh, but that was that was my first introduction to John Mayer. I was just like, who, like, who is this guy with both his collars popped, making stupid faces and playing just amazing guitar? First off, I remember watching that for the first time and not recognizing that it was John Mayer for whatever reason. I missed the intro card or whatever. And this was early enough yeah. in my knowing John Mayer's music that I didn't dawn on me. He's wearing two polo shirts so first off yeah. who wears two collared polo shirts and then oh who that was do you not remember that that was all the rage nah. that's why i made that joke at the end of last because i remember seeing kids in like hollister and american eagle you would wear multiple polo shirts and i saw this in high school too and pop the collars because it looked cool question mark i don't, they, I, I don't were they know popping them because of john mayer at this though or was he popping them because of that trend because yeah, he was doing that because of the trend no i saw that every you were homeschooled unless so your dad what? or your brothers did it they you wouldn't see it i got out in public we went to target yes, every now and then i know you did you're the only you're the only socially like well-adjusted homeschool kid i know um but no, that was that was a big trend. It was a dumb trend, but it was a big one. But anyway, that I was. I just my... remember thinking, "Who's this d bag?" And then figuring <laughs> it out. So, are you talking about when you met me or when you saw that John no, Mayer the double video? polos? I, I thought other things <laughs> yes. when I met you. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> I said, keep it family friendly. I am. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but um, yeah, so that video was my first introduction. And then almost immediately off the tails of that, um, he released the John Mayer trio album called Try. And I almost put this album on my list, but um, I, I elected to put Continuum on there. Uh, because it's a little bit more wide ranging. Try is very much like his, his like guitar expose, like, look at me, I can play guitar. Mm -hmm. And so it's fun. It's fantastic. But, uh, I think continuum is kind of a more well-rounded album. And 
I don't know. I mean, I would have to say I listened to both of them pretty equally, so it wasn't very hard to pick this one out of all his albums. Um, and like I mentioned at the end of last uh, last episode, he is part of the holy trinity of guitar for me. Um, and I haven't sat down and thought out who's like Father, Son, and Holy Ghost because that seems a little blasphemous, but... It's John Mayer, David Gilmore. And then the third the third spot, I can't really decide because I love Jimmy Page in high school a lot mm-hmm. because every every kid learning to play guitar listens to Led Zeppelin and learns Heartbreaker and all that. Um, but also I loved Joe Walsh. He um, is such an underrated talent. If we don't have one of his albums on oh. our list, we're stupid. No, one of his solo albums is on my list. Good. Mainly because a, mainly because life's been hard is probably the single greatest song mm. ever written. Oh so. man, I still <laughs> whenever I'm like uh, like warming up with my electric like to play music or whatever, I will sit down and play that riff because it's just so it's so satisfying. Everything he writes is like super fun to play. Um, but yeah, that's kind of my introduction to it. That's your introduction to it. Why don't we actually talk about the thing? Cause like, golly gee, man, this album is so good. Yeah, man. I think it's time to dive in and talk a little bit about the background info of the album. So let's uh, figure out what we can figure out about continuum. Sounds good. So before we get going on that, I, in listening to the album this week, I kind of cracked up a little bit because this album commits two of your seven mm-hmm. deadly sins Hold up. of music. Three. Oh, three. I I only counted two. So the two that I caught, and you can tell me yours after I I talk about these, were fade outs. Eight out of the twelve songs on this album just fade out. Mm-hmm. Um it didn't affect my enjoyment, but I did kind of wonder if it affected yours. Um, and then the other one that kind of made me feel the same thing was falsetto. I think John Mayer's falsetto is really excellent, like really smooth, doesn't lose any volume. Um, and the track Vultures kind of features his falsetto in a big way. And it's one of my favorite tracks, if not my absolute favorite. But what was the one you noticed? Because I didn't notice a third. The third music sin of all things that he commits on this album in two tracks is he is his own backup vocalist. Oh, that's right. Yeah, and you hate I feel, that. I feel like John Mayer was huge famous by the time this album came out. He was a household name when this album was released. And what producer in their right mind didn't go, you are John Mayer. You don't sing your own backup vocals. Like, we'll find somebody. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But I mean, so look, John Mayer has kind of, uh, he's changed as a person now. I think he's gotten older, but I think he's got a a pretty solid reputation, allegedly, as like, kind of like, I'm hot stuff, which he is. He's incredible. He is like third degree burns hot stuff. Um, But I always wonder with stuff like that, it's like, oh, I'll just do it myself. Cause I know what I want. I know how it's going to sound that kind of thing. So that, that might've been why I don't know. You can have a billion dollar production and record the vocals of your own backups. And you still sound like you recorded it in your bathroom with a zoom H six. 
So yeah. <laughs> but that said, I'm willing to give a pass on the sins for the most part on this album, even though they're so prevalent and kind of everywhere on it for a couple of reasons. The first and most important one is most people who lean heavily on music sins do it because they're imitating somebody who was actually good at those sins. And John Mm -hmm. Mayer is actually good at those things. His voice is phenomenal. His falsetto is phenomenal. If he wants to fade out a track, well, he killed it for so long during the track that he can just fade it out. There isn't a song on this album that I don't feel like is exceptionally well played. So, yeah, I, I agree with you. The only, the only thing, and I would, I hesitate to even say that it stuck in my craw, but the endings thing, as I've gotten older, does bother me because endings can be one of the most memorable parts of the song. Like if you listen to Beatles tunes, they write a distinct intro and a distinct outro. And the only other thing I want to say about endings is that you got to end the song live. Mm -hmm. So you're going to have to sit down and write an ending with your band. Mm -hmm. And so while live endings may not be the same as an ending on a record, you're still going to have to do it anyway. You know what I mean? So like, well, like I said, it didn't exactly keep me from enjoying this album because I've been listening to it since it came out. But I just feel like, why? You know, why not just keep, you know, keep an ending in there somewhere? Well, and I've had it hounded into my mind for so long that every story needs a beginning, a middle, and an end. Mm-hmm. You know, a thesis, support, and conclusion. And so that's one reason it's a musical sin to me is just... Where's, where's the 30% that I expect out of this? You know, you gave me a yeah. 66% effort. There's no denouement, <laughs> as they exactly. say. But to not belabor that point and go back to his falsetto for a moment, I was yeah. really mean kind of listening back to the episodes with Justin Vernon and Dallas Green <laughs> about their voices because yeah. I perceived them as being weak. And what I will say about John Mayer's voice is he has a way of using his voice where it sounds like he's about to break, where he's about to fall apart. Like he's putting 110% out there, but he always keeps it in bounds. And that's why it works. Uh, his, his singing is fantastic. Um, but it's interesting to me that you say it sounds like he's pushing himself a little bit because he, he had problems and I can't remember the years or which albums it was around, but there was a point at which like, the the schedule of his touring and I think kind of the way he sang caused him to develop some like vocal mm-hmm. polyps. Um, I think Adele has had some of the same issues, but you can hear that it's kind of knocked his register down a few notes. And so I kind of wonder if what we're hearing is like him just giving it all he's got, like you're saying, And that maybe like there's some evidence of that for him having medical issues with it later. Well, and he's giving it all he's got, but he's still in control of it is the big thing Mm -hmm. there. So, you know, I'm bummed to hear that he's had some medical issues with it. Don't get me wrong. But when he's giving it all he's got, he's still controlling it and he's still keeping, keeping it between the lines 
Whereas I felt like Vernon and Green were just kind of all over the place. He's yeah, very I, metered in his approach. I, I agree with that a lot. Uh, Mayor is, he's one of those people kind of like, well, a lot like his heroes, like Jimi Hendrix, like Stevie Ray Vaughan, who just have not only the gift of playing guitar, you know, it's enough to be an amazing guitarist and play on somebody else's song and, you know, be able to steal the spotlight for a couple tracks. But the dude is the full package. He can sing, he can write songs and he can play guitar just like Jimi Hendrix before him and Stevie Ray Vaughan, all the, all the people he idolized. And as like another blow to our egos, um, he was 28 years old when this album dropped. I've done absolutely nothing with my life. <laughs> Man, it, it, the older I get, the worse that feeling gets, too, because I'm like over here at 31, like, okay, I haven't done anything that cool yet, but I'm in a podcast at least. I'm about to buy a house. Like, You're being an adult. You start doing the math. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, like I'm I'm succeeding on all the like right things, but to hear about people like that who like his third album at 28 is like a world smashing success. It's just bananas. It absolutely is. And one of the things that I really enjoyed about this album, and I'm going to steal a line from your show notes because I was going to hype it up too, is that yeah, this absolutely. album was a real grounding experience for him. His prior albums before this had been bigger and bigger, you know, getting bigger uh, leading up to it. And this was him kind of putting his foot down and saying, hey, I'm going to make an album the way I want to make it. And it is a lot more scaled back and controlled. And it shows. It is easily of his first three, maybe four albums, my favorite, because it is so much more, it's perfect, pretty much. I mean, it's yeah. so much more it, controlled. I, I Controlled is a good word for it. Um I would call it a really tight album. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I listened to Room for Squares and Heavier Things uh, this week and kind of, I mean, not uh, I'm not going to sit here and drag on his music because he's real talented, but they felt, those two albums felt a little um, overproduced and maybe even like aged a little poorly, which I thought was interesting. Like it did sound like pop rock from you know it's time and maybe part of that has to do with the fact that he kind of defined the like guitar driven pop that was popular in the late 2000s early 2010s but a lot of this is really like stripped down and old school uh some of john mayer's biggest influences are kind of uh 60s and 70s R&B artists like Curtis Mayfield and Marvin Gaye, uh, blues guys like B.B. King, and, you know, some of the, like, more sophisticated songwriting tendencies of somebody like Sting. Um, he wears his influences on his sleeve on this album, and it is just so good. You know, there's rhythm and blues, rhythm section, funky grooves on the keys. there's organs electric and acoustic pianos and then like we've already 
gone on and on about, but his guitar playing on this album is just so good. It's like bluesy, but also a little bit funky. Um, and it's just so all of it is so good and so tightly arranged. Nothing's out of place. It's not like a wall of sound, you know? Well, and when he starts playing any one of the dozens of solos, each track kind of has its own solo moment. And each one of them causes your ears to kind of perk up and you you're drawn into listening to it. Um, I almost, I almost prefer it to his lyrics, honestly, like just play the guitar. You can, you can do that and get away with it. Oh man. It's so good. But you know, like honestly, like his lyric writing is even better on this album. I would say, um, Something I noticed from the first two albums, not to just like, like I said, I don't want to dog on him because they're very good. He won Grammys uh, for some of his music before this point. Oh, yeah. Go back and listen to Daughters. But his lyrics are a little bit more concise. There's less like, look at me, I'm cleverisms than there are in kind of his first two albums. Uh, it's less dense. And his melodies, I think, are better for it. Like, there's less words. There's more space for him to like craft really good melodies. Um, and like the more I listen to this album, the more I realize like I've had every one of these songs stuck in my head at some point, you know, like it doesn't feel to me like there's any filler. Yeah. Well, and I think back to high school again, when this album came out and at some point in high school, we all had to read like Harper Lee's to catch a mockingbird. And people will read that book and will tell you all the different subtexts and all the different, well, what she really meant was this. And there's so much just pontificating about what something is about. And one of the things I really respect about Mayer's lyrics in this album is that I don't feel like he's trying to hide anything. Like what, what he sings about is what the song is about. And you can either get with that or get on with it but it's not like he's trying to hide something. And part of that is not being so dense, not trying to be so witty and just singing about what he wants to sing about. And I respect that. Yeah. I, uh, the, the, the conciseness of this album is kind of, you feel it in every aspect of it. And I think a lot of that on the instrumental side has to do with the personnel on the album. Um, Steve Jordan, who is the drummer in John Mayer Trio, produced this album. And he's worked with a lot of different people. He's worked with Don Henley, who everybody knows from the Eagles, Cat Stevens, Bob Dylan, who is a show alumni, B.B. Uh, King, Stevie Nicks, and Neil Young. Like, he's worked with some of the most talented songwriters. And so he knows what makes a good concise tune. He knows what is going to catch your ear. He also has an eye for like the kind of production that a guitarist wants to hear uh, because he's produced Robert Cray, who's a fantastic blues guy, buddy guy who is like a person that Jimi Hendrix would go see. Uh, you can look up on YouTube videos of Buddy Guy concerts where Jimi Hendrix is sitting in the crowd. John Schofield, who is this amazing like blues, jazz, funk, fusion guitarist. And Herbie Hancock, who needs no introduction. He's <laughs> Herbie Hancock. So not only does Steve Jordan understand, you know, 
what catches the regular person's ear. And I say regular person, like in air quotes, right? Like the listener who doesn't care about like, Oh, that was a really cool arrangement or that chord voicing was really neat. But he also understands these guys who are looking at the nitty gritty of, you know, like I really want the solo to sound exactly like this or, you know, I think we need to jam on this for a few bars or whatever it is. And then the other, the other guy who kind of makes up the core of the band, right? The bass and the drums, uh, the bassist Pino Palladino is like an equally accomplished bassist. He's played with Elton John, Jeff Beck, the R and B singer, D'Angelo. He's played with the who, which I thought was really <laughs> kind of funny. Like, those old geezers still up there <laughs> rocking out. Um, and then, you know, young baby face people like Ed Sheeran, like this guy has covered the gamut and I'm almost positive. I've seen Pino uh, Palladino on uh, like David Gilmore mm-hmm. concert footage of his like solo stuff. So he's all over the place. The dude's done everything. Um, and so I think that like, it's, it's easy to, point at John Mayer and go like, Oh man, look at this guy. He's so talented. Um, but he is also, he also surrounds himself with extremely talented people. Like those guys are definitely his peers and not people that he just hired on. Mm -hmm. You know, they have, they have something equally valid to say artistically and it makes this album what it is. So pardon my ignorance, is Pino also in the John Mayer trio? He is actually. I forgot to mention that. But John Mayer Trino John Mayer Trino. John Mayer Trio is John Mayer, Pino Palladino, and Steve Jordan. And man, like listeners, if you want just some like like a clinic on <laughs> what a power trio should be, go out and check out that uh try album it is just so good like i said i almost put it on this album but we've got enough like guitar oriented stuff on my list to last us for years so well and to kind of rewind for a moment i just wanted to kind of belabor the point that the smaller production value or the smaller production scale per se is really what drives this album home for me it's there's nothing extra in this album that doesn't need to be in this album He doesn't have just some random brass popping in because, oh, we need to get some brass players in here for the weekend. Um, And because of that, I have a lot of respect for John Mayer because like we said earlier, he's 28 years old when this comes out. So he would have been writing and producing this when he's 26, 27, 28. And his, he had won a couple of Grammys, the temptation to, go bigger, get better, be bigger, you know, record producers, I'm sure are trying to force their vision down on him for whatever's coming on. And he was able to put something like this together. And to your comment about the trio, I feel like having experienced peers to kind of bounce ideas off of and come up with, you know, the sound for this album probably helped ground him in that. And long-term, I feel like that's one reason that this album has aged so well. I was kind of worried. It had been probably seven or eight years since I listened to this album start to finish. And I was kind of worried when I went back and listened to it after 
the Oracle drug it up and I wasn't sure if I was still going to like it. Uh, I remember seeing it on your list and going, oh, this is going to be a great discussion. And it finally came up. But the fear was there having listened to some of his earlier work and realizing that kind of dated nature of itself. So one thing I'll say, though, when we get to the critical reception here in a bit, it kind of got mixed reviews. Like people long term haven't felt the same way we felt about it. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Um if I could just harp on the 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 production side of it again to kind of come around to maybe why it has a mixed review. Um the the really popular thing or like the easiest thing to do is to think of music in terms of textures and like this is this is just me with my conjecture right like i don't have uh, a recording career i don't you know i'm not a famous artist otherwise i probably wouldn't need to go to work every day but there's this idea that you can just lay down a groove and put an interesting texture over it and have some lyrics and be done and that's not to say that the albums before Continuum didn't have individual parts and very carefully constructed arrangements because they did. But what Continuum does, I think, with the stripped-down nature of it is really does go back to John Mayer's roots. And so with fewer voices to lean on, everybody has to really consider their parts a lot more carefully and be okay with space in the music. You take something like the introduction to gravity, which is literally just drums, bass, and some organ. Like Mm -hmm. that song starts and John doesn't even come in and start playing guitar until like a bar or two has elapsed. And there are a lot of instances like that. Uh, like the song Belief, which is just like the the drums doing its groove and like John playing the guitar riff. You know, when he's willing and all these musicians are willing to step back and say, what does this song really need and what can we live without? Um, I think a lot of times you wind up falling back on some of those traditional things instead of going like, okay, we need to stuff this track with an acoustic guitar and we need some synth and we need these backup vocals and we need more didgeridoos. Yeah. More didgeridoos. We don't need all that. And so I think sometimes I'm, I'm willing to bet that some of people's reaction was maybe like, Oh, well you're just doing what everyone else has done or, Oh, this is just like your attempt at, whatever, you know, like you're just trying to be the next Marvin Gaye. Um, but I don't know. I, let's talk about their critical reception. Cause I'm, I'm, I'm curious, like what the like critical, well, I know what some of the criticisms were, but let's get into that a little bit. All right, Chris, well, pulling up my favorite Metacritic, this received 18 reviews. It got, uh, 67 out of 100 
uh, with a user score of 8.9 overall. So pretty mixed reviews. What did you find online? So um, Anthony DeCurtis of the Rolling Stone wrote, forget who did you think I was. Mayor's detractors will likely be thinking, who do you think you are when they hear his capable cover of Hendrix's Bold as Love? No matter. Mayor is right not to worry about pleasing or offending them. Continuum is just the current stage in Mayor's trip, but he's taken a big step towards finding himself. And then um, uh, Amy Skoma of Northeaster Illinois, North, uh, boy, <laughs> Northeaster. <laughs> Folks, I just read a typo out loud to you. You get what you pay for, folks. Um, uh, anyway, Amy Skoma of the Northeastern Illinois University's Independent. John Mayer isn't who we want him to be anymore. He's better. He's finally himself on Continuum. So it's funny. Um, DeCurtis from Rolling Stone kind of alleges that his detractors are probably saying, like, why are you just leaning on your influences? Why don't you be yourself? Um, and the, uh, Northeastern Illinois university review kind of says like, that is what makes him like who he is. And, and I think this is definitely himself. You can find any number of YouTube videos where he goes on and on about his influences. And Mm -hmm. it's something I like about him. Uh, it's something that pointed me in the direction of all the, the great blues musicians uh, that I love people like Albert Collins, um, Albert and, um, Freddie King, BB King. Like these are all people that he like, grew up listening to. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's passing that on because it's about, um, you know, guitar playing and especially blues guitar playing is about paying attention and paying, um, respects to the people that came before, um, and I think just just briefly, I don't want to get like super political, but this is what keeps music like this from being um, just like really poorly executed cultural appropriation. You know, a lot of the music that Mayer listened to that is his biggest influence is made by black Americans. And so it's a good thing that he says, look, I didn't come up with this. This is just music that touches me go check this out and then listen to my music um and so i think that's a thing that keeps him from being just a copycat or somebody who like just steals everything and moves on you know he's he's incorporating what he loves into like a larger framework and so sometimes people look at that and they go like oh well you're just a hack or this is like boring. Why are you playing a Hendrix cover? Well, like the Hendrix cover may not be amazing, but it's being true to what he loves. Well, and my favorite of the least favorable reviews had to be Jonathan Keefe's slant article because it's like a hit piece. Yeah. Yeah. He's mad. (laughs) I read this one too. (laughs) And it said, uh, mayor's latest studio album continuum then should represent a significant, perhaps career-redefining artistic development. Instead, it's an album that's every bit as dull as Room for Squares and Heavier Things. 
but instead of recalling Dave Matthews' bland frat boy rock, recalls Ben Harper's bland funk soul brother conceit. And that's yeah, just that guy, mean. Ugh. Like, it's not even good. Like, it's, it's not, he misses the point. And like, uh, of course, we're not like a music review podcast to review reviewers, but <laughs> come on, Keith. Like, he's throwing shade on Ben Harper, who's like also just equally talented and fantastic. So, yeah, I, I read that and thought, like, oh man. But, you know, like, not everything is for everyone. And I think John Mayer's one of those polarizing figures, kind of like Dave Matthews, where people use that as a dividing line like oh well if you like dave matthews which i do by the way mm-hmm. oh yeah no he's you know, definitely on i the know what list. kind of music yeah i know what kind of musician you know what kind of person you are because you like dave matthews but you know not every critic is going to get it right on the uh dave matthews to nickelback spectrum where does John Mayer fall? <laughs> oh man, John! Like, okay, look, I John Mayer. <laughs> John Mayer is up there with Dave Matthews, and Nickelback is like in the trash. You're, yeah, you're scraping the bottom of the barrel, man. Uh, I but, saw. Uh, well, never mind. We're gonna cut. No, that no, out. no. <laughs> oh. Okay. Well, I'll uh, I'll push us into our reviews. Okay, well, we know we liked it. We know that the critical review is mixed. So let's uh, let's go over the nitty-gritty. What did we think of this album? What did you think of it? Well, before I start with my review, I wanted to remind our listeners that we have our patented classic one-to-six guitar string review. I mean, come on, we came up with it. That makes us the best, of course. It's uh, trademarked. Totally, totally. Do not fact check that. <laughs> <laughs> and don't email me. Uh, so with that kind of said, um, I have to t- say that John Mayer is just one of those artists that it's really hard for me to hate on. Uh, there are times in my life where I didn't necessarily like his music, but I respected it. And right now, and for the majority of my life, I really enjoyed his music. I really respect this album. And I really enjoy the ability that he has had over the years to write stirring music uh, that really is engaging and thought-provoking in its own unique way. A John Mayer song comes on, and you know it's a John Mayer song because it sounds like John Mayer. And he's just so good at it. When I think about Continuum, the album... I look at it as the quintessential Mayer album. It's full of beautiful guitar solos, fun melodies, and competent but simple lyrics. There really isn't any hidden symbolism in these tracks, and it's fun, it's full, and it's emotional. I think Mayer is one of those guys who just blends into the environment and his music fits the mood. I mean, if you're driving in the car, his music has a way of getting you into the headspace of that music. And that's a talent that can't be taught. Like he just has it, uh, that it factor. That said, we mentioned at the beginning of this, that this album does have its flaws. It commits three of my music sins. And generally those really are detractors to me. I'm not going to take any points off this album for that though. I feel like 
John Mayer is just so good at what he's doing that the sins can be looked past. Uh, so that's minor there. So with that said, I'm going to give this album five out of six strings. It's nearly perfect, and it deserves a place in your vinyl collection or however you collect music. Chris, what did you think? So for me, it's really hard to underrate this album. Uh, if you throw a rock at the music section of Instagram, uh, the odds are that you're going to hit a John Mayer wannabe, and that's self-included. That's not me throwing shade on Instagram guitarists. Uh, I am equally guilty. Um, you know, I don't want to equate influence with quality uh, because sometimes those aren't the same. With But with John Mayer, it's really hard to tell the difference. Um, his outsized influence on me begins with this album. His playing was like everything that I wanted to be in high school. He's cool and confident. He's inventive in his synthesis of familiar players and styles. Um, and you know, like as I've aged, I've grown out of the desire to just be John Mayer. Uh, but I still picked up a ton of Mayerisms that I'm still trying to refine into something more uniquely me. Um, I mean, I, I could, I could go on about like how much time I spent just sitting in front of the TV or a CD player and running tracks back and like sitting there and like, okay, and I'm going to do this. And it's lasted like there was a crossroad performance from maybe eight or nine years ago where he covered, um, ain't no sunshine. Mm -hmm. And I, the lab band that I was in, in, in college, we covered it the same way. Like I sat down and tried to learn the part. It wasn't nearly as good, but you know, that it's left its watermark on me. Um, and, you know, even if you consider some of the seven deadly sins that we talked about, like fade outs, I think fade outs are weak songwriting. Um, but like we mentioned, Mayer more than makes up for it with the rest of the song. His hooks are just super catchy and they're honestly kind of a joy to have rattling around in your head like these are some of the few songs i'm excited like oh man this is a great song i'll just play the record and like listen to it um and even lyrically it, like even when he's like a little mopey or heartsick he manages to convince me that it's somehow cool to be that angsty and maybe i can turn all those girl problems into like a guitar god level solo <laughs> if i just make the right face and bend the string enough um, I don't know, man. This album is a wonderland. I'm going to ding it one string because I know Mayer knows how to end a song because he has to on his live shows. Um, so, man, this album is just so good. I'm going to give it five out of six strings. we got a daily double going. <laughs> well, and your review kind of reminded me of something listening to it in the car. Uh, one of the things I struggled with on this album, uh, being so fresh to it, coming to it again after all these years, is I struggled to differentiate the difference between the tracks without listening, like looking down at the stereo. Like one track ended and the next one began because of mm -hmm. all the fade outs. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if that wasn't a conscious decision on his part from a album standpoint. I bet it was. And, and honestly, like, 
it's hard to say because I don't think the songs suffer from fading out. Mm-hmm. I think the fade out is a really easy way to preserve whatever emotional tone that song has. So instead of like, oh, that ending came out of nowhere, you just get an ending that like fades out and then the next track starts. And so for the flow of an album, I think it's really good. I think like you said, like that happens to me too, where I'm like, oh man, we're like four tracks tracks into this thing. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And I didn't, I didn't even know that happened. And so I'm sure that was intentional, but just from a songwriting standpoint, like I think he could do better, you know, like he's super talented, but also it's like, it's not going to make me go like, Oh, I hate this album. Let's never forget that back when you and I were fresh out of high school, I was the one who penned that deadly sin. So I agree a hundred percent with your comments. I think and we used to disagree about it. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Well, I, the, the thing is too, that was like a big trick that a lot of people, a lot of rock bands from the seventies leaned on. Like the Eagles Mm -hmm. are also like real egregious. (laughs) Yeah. They're real egregious (laughs) offenders. Oh, we'll just have uh, Joe Walsh, like play a lick like over and over again. And we'll just like push the fader down. Well, that said, we've given it the reviews that it deserves, I feel. Uh, What was your favorite and least favorite track on this album? And don't cop out and say nothing. We did that last week. (laughs) No, 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 no. Don't worry. I do have a favorite and a least favorite. So my favorite track is Vultures. That has always been my favorite John Mayer tune. Um, And I was thinking about it today and my senior year when our our like when marching band had band banquet guys, I'm such a nerd when we had band (laughs) banquet, you know, they have those, like, what was your favorite song? What was your favorite movie or whatever? Um, I know for a fact, I wrote down vultures as being my favorite song. Um, the like groove that John Mayer plays on that is like one of the coolest guitar parts he's ever written. Mm -hmm. And his lyrics in that song are really cool too. Uh, yeah, I, I haven't memorized down to the wire. I wanted water, but I walked through the fire. Uh, you know, like it, the whole theme of like, I'm going to move past all the haters and the people that want me to fail and yeah. succeed in what I'm doing. Like it works when you're in high school. It works when you're like a 30 year old dude battling a cold and trying to buy a house. <laughs> like it, it all comes together. So that one's my favorite. Uh, What was your favorite track on this album? So I kind of struggled with this album picking a favorite because I do like so Mm, many of the songs mm. on it. And so I kind of ended up deciding, all right, I'm not going to pick any of the singles, anything that was on the radio. Um, I felt like, you know, waiting on the world to change and gravity were overplayed when this Mm -hmm. album was new. And I feel like they're kind of overplayed even today. If you hear a John Mayer song on the radio, odds are it's one of those two songs. It seems like. And so with that kind of in mind, not picking them, uh, the song that I kept just coming back to and at one point in the week ended up looping and just listening to over and over again because the guitar solo is just so great on it and the the band plays so well together is slow dancing in a burning room. I feel like the lyrics are just beautiful on that song, like hauntingly beautiful. And I say that in a lot of my favorite tracks. So I've got to stop saying hauntingly beautiful, but (laughs) it really stirred my soul um, musically and lyrically. 
And I've been humming that, that riff, that guitar riff just endlessly for the last week or so. So that's my favorite. What was your least favorite? Barbara? So before I talk about my least favorite, I love that you picked that because that I, I love that song. And I also hate how often I see people covering it on YouTube oh, and they do because, it terribly. Yeah. Like just oh, let him do oh. it. And man, if you want to talk about like overused in guitar and guitar pedal and amp demos, if anybody is ever demonstrating a strat, mm-hmm. they're automatically going to go to fifth position on the pickup selector and they're going to play the intro to this song. And so I'm, like I'm not sick of it because I love the song. The song has saved itself, but man, like no stairway denied. The amount of times I've heard somebody like stumble through slow dancing in a burning room has got to be in the triple digits at this point. It's so obnoxious. But that is a testament to how great the song is. You think of the songs that you're likely to hear in a guitar store just being played Mm -hmm. over and over again and it's smoke on the water and free bird and yeah. this. So oh, how to be how to be in the pantheon of the mediocre player. <laughs> yeah. It, and I just I don't want to take up too much time on this song, but the first verse of that song is just genius. It's not a silly little moment. It's not the storm before the calm. This is the deep and dying breath of this love that we've been working on. Like, dude is spitting fire. Yep. <laughs> this song is so good. So so anyway, to get back on track here, my least favorite is actually the opening song, um, Waiting on the World to Change. I think I heard this song one too many times at shopping malls and grocery stores. Like, if there was one song from this album that just got overplayed, it was this song. Cause I, I think this was the song that they like marketed, you know, mm-hmm. like they were like, this is going to be the big single. Um, and I think the lyrics are kind of lame. Like I, I understand the feeling of like, Oh, it's just so hard to change the world. And maybe it's because I'm from a different generation than John Mayer is. Like, I don't know if it's like a divide between generation, whatever he is and millennials, but I always just felt like, man, it's kind of lame that you have a whole song just about like, it's so hard to change the world. I can't do it. Like, so I'll wait. John, you changed my world with your guitar playing. Come on, man. <laughs> have some confidence. Use some of that. Like, millionaire artist sway uh but what uh, let's let's talk about your least favorite song because i was aghast agog one could say i was kind of surprised that you were too because of all the tracks on this song this on this album this is the one i genuinely could take or leave and that's oh man and that's belief uh for those who haven't read our show notes (laughs) <laughs> which I hope is all of you. Well, you hackers get out of here. It commits three of the seven deadly sins for me. Falsetto fade out at the end, self backup on vocals, or he sings his own backup. Uh, and I just feel like the track is a filler between I don't trust myself and gravity. Like it's one of those songs that kind of fades in and fades out in between those two tracks. 
and I can see it killing you. Uh, uh, I'm dying. I'm but dying I just inside. don't feel like, and maybe if it had been placed in a different place in the album, it would have been better for me. But it's one of those tracks that when I was listening to this in the car, which was a lot of my time last week, it just kind of bled from one to the other to the other. And this was that middle piece that just didn't stand out on its own. So yeah, it could go in oh, my man. estimation. Oh, I have no way to relate to that statement. And part of it is the guitar stuff too. Like even when the song might be kind of like, like less than mm-hmm. like, boy, do I love the guitar playing on it. And part of it too, like, is I also the other DVD of his that I have watched a ton of is where the light is, which is his kind of three part live set that he did in Los Angeles. And when he plays a song with the full band set, he like tears it down. Mm-hmm. It's so good. The guitar playing, the guitar solo is good, but it doesn't matter if that's my opinion. Cause that's your opinion. It's your least favorite song. <laughs> and I can respect that. I'm not going to beat you over the head with it. Something I wanted to bring up earlier in the episode, and it just dawned on me as we're coming here to the end that yeah, I do it. wanted to circle back to for a second. How much of John Mayer's prolific impact on musicians of the early 2000s to today do you think is based on his uh, just he's everywhere in rich media. I mean, the guy does interviews with everybody. He does all the morning talk shows. He goes on everybody's YouTube show. He he talks to everybody about his music. And so because of that, artists like yourself have had a, almost unfettered access to his process and his thinking. And it's highly curated. Don't get me wrong. It's not like he's just recording Snapchat yeah. videos. But whoever his publicist is, whoever his managers are, his PR people have done a wonderful job of making his ethos available to people. And how much of that do you think is impacting? So I I think it would be silly to say it had nothing to do with it because obviously the goal was like publicity. But I think when you start looking at his impact on musicians I think that's where whatever the the PR factor is in his fame doesn't matter quite as much. Like, it's hard to say, right? Because without all that PR work, like, would we know about him? Maybe not. But also, you know, people who get it, it, musicians and specifically, I'm going to pick on guitarists because we are an obsessive bunch of people. So if you find a guy doing this new thing, this kind of synthesis of blues, but also he's got some really cool funk and jazz stuff. You know, he went to, like I mentioned in the intro, he went to Berkeley. Mm -hmm. And so he's got this harmonic tendency that is outside of the normal kind of bread and butter pop. There's a lot of jazz, so there's more complex harmonies. There's the syncopation of funk. There's blues rock stuff. He synthesized a lot of stuff in a new way, just like the people before him. So like Stevie Ray Vaughan taking Jimi Hendrix and Albert King. Jimi Hendrix taking Albert King and, you know, the loud 
blues based rock and roll of somebody like Chuck Berry. I think, I think you can point to the PR stuff, but honestly, I think a really good portion of it is just the novelty of his style of guitar playing. Um, and honestly, like I, like I cannot help but see it when I'm scrolling through like Instagram or even if you're looking at musicians on TikTok, mm-hmm. a lot of the it, the big the thing that's really in right now is neo soul, mm-hmm. um, and like fusion that kind of thing. That stuff is just full to the brim with like John Mayer's tendencies as a guitarist, and so I think it has a lot to do with him as a player and only the littlest bit to do with the publicist and the like media campaigns. That makes sense. Yeah, I think so. And I think that's a great note to kind of wrap this discussion up on. So let's figure yeah, out. Don't get me started. <laughs> don't, don't, don't pull my string. I will just keep going. <laughs> well, I think it's time that we uh, turn our attention to the Oracle, Chris. Yeah. Oh, I had something to say. So hmm. is she the Oracle or uh, is she Neptune? Because we talked about the Oracle from the Matrix, and then my dumb self brought up uh, Neptune. So we need to decide, is she the Oracle, or is she Neptune? So Tiffany and I were talking about this uh, earlier this week, and I could be totally wrong because I did not do any research after she and I talked about it. But here's to throw another little wrench in there. I'm pretty sure... The oracle would be a priestess or the voice of a god, and wasn't Neptune a god? And isn't yeah. it? And isn't this is really a stretch? Isn't it Neptune that the uh, people from three hundred go to the oracle and ask for her favor uh, in the movie three hundred? I kind of thought it was the oracle at Delphi, but. I also don't know. I don't know anything about um, Greek mythology, so we're just totally making a hodgepodge. Let's make our well, own religion. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's what the world needs is another like another couple of white guys setting down a religion. Um, I'll go get some tablets see. right quick. You start thinking of things. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, I've got some Kool-Aid in the fridge. <laughs> that might be a no-no. Uh, according to Wikipedia, real quick, before we go on with this uh, fiasco, uh, Neptune is the god of fresh water and the sea in Roman religion. He is the counterpart of the Greek god Poseidon. In the Greek-influenced tradition, Neptune is the brother of Jupiter and Plato. The brothers preside over the realms of heaven, the earthly world, and the underworld. So that's not really helpful. No, I, I'm, I'm going to stick with the I'm Matrix a, Oracle because she yeah, was badass. Yeah, that's, that's what I was about to say <laughs> is like, let's stick with the Oracle because she's super cool. And she has cookies. Always go to the side with mm. cookies. Oh, always cookies. All right, here we go. Let's see. Um, we're going to be picking from my list this week, which as of this recording has 47 albums on it. So one in 47. Let's see what we get. Number four, Hozier's self, self-titled 2014 album, Hozier. Real, real unique there. Oh, yeah. John hey, Hozier. As an aside, this is the first musician we've done that is a hyphenate for a last name. Ooh, we're getting all kinds of fancy. 
going to break out the T-set, stick our pinkies in the air for this next album. All right, folks. Thank you so much for listening. If you have been enjoying our show, please rate it and review it. Uh, There's always a chance that we could read your reviews or comments on air. You could get your five minutes of fame through Two Dudes and Tunes. Yes, and if you want to get in touch with us, shoot us an email at twodudesandtunes at gmail.com. Don't forget to hit us up on Instagram or Facebook. Tell us what you thought about Continuum. And don't forget to tune in next Wednesday when we double up on blues, rock, fusion, everything with Hozier. We'll see you next week, guys. 